0: Good morning guys. I'm Brian Legg, I'm one of the pastors on our lead pastor team here at TBA. So glad you could be with us today. I'm actually just glad to be back. For the last two or three weeks I've been getting to travel the world. Um, I got to go to Honduras a few weeks ago with our team from TBA and we did some great things there. We were able to build a house for a family and interact with, with that family and also just to be able to interact with our church family there from El Zapote and to be able to hang out with them and worship together and just do a lot of things, building relationships was a great time. We got back from that late Saturday night, and Monday morning my wife and I had the privilege of leaving to go to Israel, and we're there for 10 days, and so I just came back from Israel getting to experience that, and now I'm really looking forward to the trip at the end of December. So if you think you can put up with me for 10 days, I would love for you to go to Israel with us at the end of December. It'll be a wonderful time, and I promise it will be well worth your investment. I know it's one of those things that sometimes it's hard to commit to, um, it is not cheap if you're running on a tight budget, but it's well worth the investment that you'll put into it. It's 10 days out of your schedule, and I know a lot of you are just like me. You go, I'm so busy, I don't know if I can give up 10 days to go, but I promise you it's well worth it. You get to see some amazing sights, to go places that Jesus walked. Um, you know, some of the cool places to me were places like Engedi. It's literally an oasis in the middle of the desert, and to be able to see it, and it's one of those places you read over in Scripture lots of times. But you probably didn't even realize some of the things that have happened there or realize the setting that's going on. It's caves where David and his men hid from King Saul, and you get to go and see, and see the spring of water coming out, and you go, well, now I can understand why David and his men would hide there. You know, It's just cool places like that, to be able to be on the Sea of Galilee. Here's a picture of Sherry on the boat that we were on just a week, little over a week ago on the Sea of Galilee, and it was one of her favorite places. Just a really enjoyable trip. So I would encourage you, if you've thought about it at all, being a part of this. Make sure you stay for the info meeting afterwards. We'll show you some pictures, tell you a little bit about the trip and give you some information, give you a chance to ask questions. Would love for you to do that. This morning we're continuing our series on James, the book of James, and the series is called Polluted. We're really just taking time to look at what James talks about. He talks about practical Christian living. What are some of the practical ways that we can live out our faith and avoid being polluted by the ways of the world as we do that? And so we're just going to continue in that this morning. I'm excited to jump back into it. And I want to do that by springboarding off of something that Mikey said last week. Mikey Littlejohn spoke with us last week. Huge thank you to him, by the way, for speaking. It's an honor to have him be here and be a part of that. But here's the phrase that Mikey used last week that stood out to me, and I bet it did you too. He said, if your faith is dead on the outside, there's a good chance your faith is dead on the inside. Think about that just a second. If your faith is dead on the outside... There's a good chance your faith is dead on the inside. In other words, if your works, if your fruit, your actions, your words, if they don't reflect the faith that you say is living in you, then are you just all talk and no action? We all know people like that, don't we? All talk and don't back any of it up. Don't you just hate hanging out with people like that? I bet some of us have been that way before in reality. All talk and no action. See, our words matter. Our words carry power. Our words matter a lot more than often we realize. Let me give you an example. Think about today from the time you got out of bed until you got to this point here at church today. How have you used your words? Now, some of you are morning people like me. And so you wake up, the day is good, the sun is shining, you're happy, things are great and you just want to have a conversation with somebody, you want to encourage, you want to share things, right? I guess none of you are morning people. And then there's those who are not morning people, who they wake up in the morning and they dare you to talk to them before they get their first cup of coffee or make it to church that morning. How are we using our words? This morning, have you encouraged people around you? Have you inspired anyone? Have you shared love or joy? Or maybe have you yelled at someone? Yelled at the kids to get them ready for church? Yelled at your spouse to get them ready for church because they're not a morning person? Have you done something that was destructive? Have you used sarcasm to kind of jab at them a little? Our words matter. They carry a lot more weight than we often realize. How are you using your words? Today we're in James chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the message version because I think it does a really good job of hitting the nail on the head for what I want to say today. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible, so we're starting in James 3 with verse 1. It says, Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. Do you hear the word that keeps repeating there? Perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us get it right all the time. I don't have to explain a whole lot. This is pretty self explanatory, but yes, there's going to be a higher standard for those of us who teach, but I would say there's a high standard for you too. And what I would encourage you is don't just take my words for granted. Don't take the words for granted of someone who stands on stage and speaks to you. Look it up yourself. Search it out. Look for God's truth in what's being said. Read his word and listen to what he's saying to your heart. Listen to how James goes on. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything. Or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up and smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. One careless word can start a forest fire. One careless word can send the whole world up in smoke. Those are strong words that James is using. Strong, but true. Our words matter. And you're going to get tired of hearing that phrase today. I'm going to make sure that when you go home tonight and go to bed, the thing that runs through your mind is our words matter. Our words matter. Think about the three analogies he uses. He's got the first analogy of a horse and how you control a horse with a bit in its mouth. Now think about a horse. A horse is a huge animal. They're strong. They're powerful. They can trample a human without thinking twice about it. And I don't care how big and strong you are, you can't control a horse if it decides it wants to run over you. But put a bridle on a horse and put that bit in its mouth, and it's amazing the amount of control you have on that huge animal. You put that little piece of metal in its mouth and all of a sudden you pull to the left with the reins and the horse goes left. And you pull to the right with the reins and the horse goes right. And You pull back and the horse stops or even backs up. Now guess what? Same concept works with people. I'm going to show you. Take your finger, stick it in your neighbor's mouth and pull really hard. I'm just kidding, don't do that. (laughs) The reality is it works with us too, doesn't it? If somebody sticks their finger in your mouth and pulls, what's going to happen? You're going to go wherever they're pulling, aren't you? because it's going to grab your attention. It's amazing how just that little piece of metal in the horse's mouth can control this big, powerful animal. And it's the same with us. Our words, our mouth, has a lot of power and controls our actions. Here's a picture of a battleship. And I know it's a small picture. You can't get a lot of the detail out of it. But what I want you to see is right here. That's the rudder of the ship. That one little piece of steel controls how that ship turns in the ocean. This huge aircraft carrier, if you go home and Google it and look up, look up like Navy maneuvers. When they're taking the aircraft carriers and turning them, they can turn these ships almost on their side in the water. It's like they're spinning out in the sea. And it's amazing the control that they have to be able to turn and steer the ship through the ocean with that one little piece of steel by just turning that rudder a little bit. And proportionately, that rudder is tiny compared to this huge ship. Ironically, Proportionately, our tongue is one of the smallest muscles in our body, but one of the strongest. You ever think about that? One of the smallest muscles in your body, but one of the strongest, proportionately. Our words matter, they carry weight, they have power. The third analogy James uses is of a spark starting a forest fire. Think about how easy forest fires are to start the careless flick of a cigarette out a window. A campfire that didn't get put out completely. Somebody driving down the road pulling a, a boat or a camper and their chains drag on the ground and it causes a spark. And all it has to do is hit that one piece of dry grass or that one dry leaf. And all of a sudden there's a little smoldering. And then there's a small flame. And suddenly you've got a mess on your hands. This forest fire that burns out of control. And it's something we can't control. Watch them fight forest fires. They dig paths trying to stop the fire. They dump stuff on it. They do all these things, but if the fire picks up and the wind picks up to blow it along, there's not much they can do. Watch it burn. Watch it cause destruction. Get out of the way. And that's how our words are. They carry that kind of power. They can destroy just as quickly and just as much. Why would we not think that our words carry power? I mean, think about it. We're created in the very image of God. God who spoke the world into being. Talk about words carrying power. He said, let there be light. And there was light. We're talking about Jesus who is described as the very word of God come to save the world in John 1. God's words carry power. We're made in his image. Our words carry power in the same way. They have the power to encourage, to inspire, to restore. They also have the, courage, have the ability to destroy. The power to cause destruction. If you look in your Bible, probably the heading that's over this section, at the beginning of chapter 3, will say something like, Taming the tongue. That's what it says in my Bible. Was Taming the tongue, this section of Scripture. And I read that and I go, Taming the tongue? Okay, well, you know, it's talking about the words we use. You know, Avoid foul language. Don't, don't say things you shouldn't say. And I don't want to make light of that because that's a serious thing. The words we use are important. How we say things is very important. But I think James is going deeper than that. I think he's looking beyond some of the specific words we use and he's talking about the motivation that we have. What's the purpose behind our words? How are we using our words? What are we trying to accomplish with them? I think he's talking about things like when we lie. He's talking about slander. He's talking about gossip. Ooh, that one hits close to home, doesn't it? Because guess what? We've all experienced or probably participated in gossip somewhere along the way, right? Saying something that you know you shouldn't pass along, but you say it anyway. Sharing something that was hidden, that should have stayed hidden. The Bible talks a lot about things like gossip. There's scripture after scripture after scripture that refers to it. Things like Proverbs 16, 28, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Proverbs 20, 19, a gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with chatterers. Have you ever been involved in a conversation where somebody started with this phrase? I probably shouldn't be saying this, but how many times have you started with that phrase. I probably shouldn't be saying this, but listen to your own advice. I probably shouldn't be saying this. Okay, good, I won't. It's gossip. And it doesn't matter how true it is. It doesn't matter how accurate it is. It's still gossip. If you shouldn't be saying it, you shouldn't be saying it, period. It's simple. But yet, we don't seem to follow that real well, do we? In fact, in the church, we do even one better. We go... Well, I shouldn't be saying this, but I just, I know you need to be praying about this too. Christian gossip. I just need to tell you something so you can pray about it. The question I would ask is, how much have you prayed about it? How big of a burden are you really carrying about that situation? How much sleep have you lost thinking and praying about it before you decide to say something to somebody else so they can pray with you? Because most of the time, that's not really our motivation. If we're honest at a gut level, that's not really our motivation most of the time. We just want to share the juicy stuff. Gossip destroys. Psalm 141 says it like this, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Protect us. Stay away from gossip. There's a guy named Morgan Blake that was a journalist during World War I in the Atlanta area. And he wrote this in one of his papers. He said, I'm more deadly than the screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes, break hearts, wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and seldom forgive. I am gossip. Gossip is destructive. It leaves a wake of destruction in its path. But I think James is talking about even more than that. What about the integrity of your words? How truthful are the things that you say? How easy is it to stretch the truth a little? Especially if you're kind of put in a corner and you're on the defense and somebody's accusing you of something and you're trying to defend it. How easy is it to stretch the truth a little to make yourself look better? How many times do we stretch the truth just so we can avoid conflict? How many times do we use sarcasm or teasing or poking at somebody to say something that really needs to be said in love. I'm guilty there. See, guys are good at talking smack. Guys are good at ribbing each other and and pushing the envelope a little, and sometimes we push too far. There's nothing wrong with with doing that and and having some good-natured kidding going on, but so many times we use that to say something that we really need to say in a personal conversation but we use sarcasm to be able to say something to somebody. Go, Oh, I was just joking. Because then we can make light of it and it's not a conflict and it's not a big deal, right? But we're saying something that they really need to hear. And we're using sarcasm to do it. The Bible talks about that too. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. It says, just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, I was only joking. Ouch. How many times do we do that? See, Scripture tells us we're supposed to tell the truth in love. And there's two key words there truth and love. Our motivation has to be love. We have to be sharing the truth because we love the person and want what's best for them. But it doesn't mean using sarcasm or using a teasing joke kind of way to tell them, it means speaking the truth. But doing it in such a way that they know we love them and care about them and are walking with them. It means having the hard conversations. Our words matter, they're a reflection of our heart. In fact, I would say that our words are really a barometer of our spiritual condition. Our words are spirit, a barometer of our spiritual condition, they reflect what's going on inside our heart. What you put in is going to come out at some point. And people will see through your words the condition of your relationship with Christ. We live in a country that has freedom of speech. And I'm glad we do. But I'm here to tell you, speech is not free. Speech is not free. You're accountable for the words you say. Just like freedom for our country is not really free. Ask someone who served in the military Someone pays the price for freedom to be experienced. And it's the same with our words. There's a cost to our words, and it can be good or bad. But there's a cost associated with them, and we are accountable for the words that we say. Our words matter, they can damage a lot, they can destroy a lot. And we've talked about a lot of those aspects. But what about the flip side? See, we started out talking about words don't just damage or destroy, but words can also bring hope. They can restore, they can give life. We're made in the image of God who spoke life into being. How do our words do that? Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words, don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. I love that passage, that scripture. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart for it directs the path of your life. Let me put it in a simpler form that we'd understand. For most of us, it looks like garbage in, garbage out. You've heard that phrase? Your mom probably told you that a hundred thousand times as you grew up. Garbage in, garbage out. See, the converse of that is true too. You put in good stuff, and you're going to get good results. What we put into our spirit, to our heart matters. Our words reflect that. They show us what we've put in. How can we expect God to heal our hearts? How can we expect God to give life to others through us? If all we put in to our body is polluted, if everything that we take in, if all the TV shows we watch and the movies that we see and the conversations that we have and the the activities that we participate in, if everything we do is polluted, how can we expect to speak purity and speak words of hope and restoration? What goes in will come out. Words matter. What we fill ourselves with matters. When's the last time that you just sit down and spent time reading God's Word? Letting Him speak to you through it? When's the last time that you had an extended period of time just to sit and listen to what God wanted to say to you? When's the last time that spending time with God was more important than all the other busy things in your schedule? See, we're a busy culture. We run from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And we make time for the things that are important. Oddly enough, many of us have a lot of dust on our Bibles at home because we haven't made time to invest in spending time in His Word and letting Him speak to us. Those first two verses, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them and let them penetrate deep into your heart. You know, when I think about that, I I think about eating. I know you're going, okay, how'd you get there? Let them penetrate deep into your heart. If you've ever cooked like chicken or turkey or or pork or something and you want your meat to be good, you want to keep it moist and you you want it to come out well, what do you do to it? You marinate it. Or sometimes you brine it. You know, you put it in water with salt and sugar and let it soak at least overnight, sometimes for two or three days, so that all that will penetrate the meat. Or you put it in a bag with marinade and you let it sit there for a while so that all that will soak in or you inject it. But you're wanting that flavor to get inside your meat before you cook it, don't you? And then what happens when you cook it? You know what happens when you take a big piece of chicken and, and you brine it overnight and you get all that water and salt and sugar into it and then you put it on the smoker? You know what happens? It just oozes out, doesn't it? You see all that moisture coming out of the meat, and when you're done cooking it, your meat is still moist and appetizing and draws you in. And now I've got you all hungry. But think about it. You've changed what the meat is like. When you marinate it or you brine it, you change the taste, you change the texture of the meat, the way it's going to cook. And that's how God's Word is in us. When we let it penetrate deep into our heart, it's like we're marinating in His Word. It's like we're being brined in it. And it changes us from the inside out and then we begin to ooze those things that we've taken in. So maybe the question we should be asking is, what are you oozing? When you walk through the world around you, what do you ooze? What do people see? Do they see that piece of chicken that's just oozing moisture and is so appetizing and, and wants to draw you in? Or are you some dried up piece of meat that nobody wants to touch? What are we oozing? What do your words reflect about your heart? Go back to Mikey's statement. If your faith is dead on the outside, there's a good chance that your faith is dead on the inside. That's a true statement. Harsh, but true. Our words are a great assessment of our spiritual condition, our words are a great reflection of the condition of our heart. In our relationship with Christ. Whether we like it or not, they are. Listen to how James finishes this passage in chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. It says, this is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father, and with the same tongues, we curse the very men and women that he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go Can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? Think about it. The fruit that we bear, our actions, our words, our works, they reflect what kind of tree we are. Our words reflect what's in our heart. If our faith is dead on the outside, I'll take it a step further. Our faith is dead on the inside. If you can't see the faith from the outside, how could you possibly have a faith that's alive on the inside? Because what is in us will come out, it will ooze out one way or the other. And we can't control our tongue. It's true. We can't control our tongue, but God can. And you know what we can control? We can control what we put into our spirit. We can control what goes in so that we, in effect, do control what comes out. I can control what things I'm putting in. What are the resources I'm looking at? What are the things that I'm feeding my spirit? Am I feeding His Word? Or am I feeding it a lot of other stuff that's polluted from the world? Some of you are probably sitting there thinking, okay, great idea, great concept. I agree, we need to put good things in so good things come out. Our words matter, I get all that, but how? I'm going to give you the three simplest steps in the history of man. And you know all of them, and your mama's told you all of them. You've heard them all before. You've probably said them before, especially if you're a parent. But most of us don't put it into practice. Make your relationship with God your priority Notice what I didn't say I didn't say make it a priority I said make it your priority It has to be the top priority in your life the most important thing taking time to spend in his word to build into the relationship to hear God speak into your life make your relationship with God your priority and spend time daily reading his word It's amazing the difference it makes when you spend time each day reading His Word, the things that will come out of your mouth. It changes. The second thing, pray. Start each day by asking God to control your tongue. Spend time reading His Word. Pray and ask for wisdom and direction about the things that you're going to say through the day. It'll start to change the way you use your mouth. And the third one, you've heard the most, you've thought the most, and you've done it the least, guaranteed. Pause. Stop and think before you speak. Stop and think before you speak. Most of us do that the other way around. We react and we speak and then we go, oh, I shouldn't have said that, right? And guess what? You can't take your words back. Remember I told you there was a cost to our words Freedom of speech isn't really free. It's not. Once you've said something, you can't take it back. There's nothing you can do to make that be unsaid. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do something about it, but you can't take those words back. Stop and think before you speak. Just two chapters earlier, James 1, 19, says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to react in anger. Often we're really quick to speak and quick to react in anger and really slow to listen. We listen after the fact and realize, oh, we should have stopped and done that first. Stop and think before you speak. Our words matter. Are you tired of hearing that phrase yet? Our words matter. my hope is this morning that as you listen to these things, as you hear what James says as you, you hear the Proverbs, you hear all these things, my prayer is that it's a time where you realize how important your words really are and that you're willing to make a commitment today to say I'm going to put some of these things into practice I really am going to make my relationship with God a priority and spend time reading his word, spend time listening to his voice and I'm going to make sure that what's going in is what I want to come out, that it's reflective of the condition I want my heart to be But I also know this morning that for all of us, we can probably sit here and think about a time that we've said the wrong thing. That we've used our words to cause destruction. That we've used our words in such a way that we've hurt somebody else, whether intentionally or not. And our words matter in those moments too. And you can't take them back. But we have a responsibility to make it right. We have a responsibility to ask for forgiveness for those times. We have a responsibility to do everything possible to use our words to restore and rebuild that relationship and encourage that person. And so I want to give you a practical opportunity this morning. If you grab your bulletin, inside you should have gotten an envelope like this. And inside the envelope is just a plain blank card. And I want to challenge you to today. Today, not tomorrow. Not the next day, not next week, today to write a note to a person that you need to ask forgiveness for, that you need to restore a relationship with, that you need to use your words to do something positive. I'm not going to ask you to write the note this morning because it will probably take you too long to think about it and pray about how you want to say it and what you want to put. So I'm not going to make you write it now, but what I am going to ask you to do this morning is before you leave church today, I want you to take the envelope and I want you to write the name of the person on the envelope that you're going to write to. And for a lot of you, probably God's already laid that person on your heart and you know exactly who you need to write to. For some of you, maybe you need to take some time while the band plays here in a moment just to pray and to ask God, who do I need to write to? Man, you guys can come on up. For some of you, you may need to mail this card to somebody, somebody that lives far away or that you can't really talk to. For some of you, you may need to write your note and walk to the next room and hand it to your spouse or your kids or your parent. For some of you, maybe you need to schedule a time to have coffee with a friend this week and hand them the note and have a conversation to restore a relationship. Whoever God lays on your heart, that's between you and God. But before you leave today, write the name of that person on that envelope and then commit to going home today and making that happen. I'm telling you, if you go home and you throw it down on your desk or your counter or somewhere else, you're going to forget all about it. It's going to get covered in mail. You're going to go on to the next things that you're busy about. You're going to forget it. Make a commitment to do it today. Use your words to encourage, to inspire, to restore, to rebuild. Our words matter. Your words are powerful. And they have the power to heal. I want to see us start using our words with that kind of power rather than the destructive power that we all know too well. I'm going to ask that you just stay seated this morning as the band starts the first song so that you have time to think and to write on your envelope and then as you're ready you can stand and join in worship. But I'm going to take a moment pray and then I want you just to take a couple moments as they sing to write on your envelope and to take time to pray about who God wants you to reach out to. If you need to come forward and pray, please do. I'll be available. Some of our prayer team will be available. Our other pastors will be here and pray with you if you need that. But commit today to responding in a positive way and using your words to build up and to restore and to heal. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that you speak to our hearts. God, I thank you that your words carry power of healing and restoration and and you offer that to us. God, you spoke the world into being and you've spoken life into us. I pray that we could reflect that image to others, that we could speak that same life into others around us. God, even now, I pray that you would just convict our hearts of the things that we need to remember, the things that we need to make right, the the people that we may need to talk to to bring healing and restoration. And I pray that you would break down those walls of pride that we put up to help us to humble ourselves and to take the first step in restoring that relationship. God, may you move in power in our hearts and in our lives. And may we be open to your leading. We love you, God. Amen.